Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation Podcast. Welcome to the Mintel Little Conversation, where experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Dana Mackey, a director at Mintel, and today we're talking about beauty and fashion. We're recording this episode at the end of Fashion Week for the four major industry capitals, New York, London, Milan, and Paris. I'm joined here by two Mintel analysts in our Chicago-based U.S. office to talk about what they saw on the runway and what this means for brands and buyers in the coming year. Alexis and Lauren, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourselves for the listeners? Sure. Hi, I'm Alexis DeSalva. I'm the Senior Analyst of Retail and E-Commerce here at Mintel. And my name is Lauren Goodsit. I am a Global Beauty Analyst on our Beauty and Personal Care Platform team at Mintel. Thanks so much for joining on this topic today. Um, when I think about fashion, let me tell you what I really think about fashion. When I think <laughs> about Fashion do. Week, <laughs> I have a very outdated um, perspective. When I think Fashion Week, I think Sex in the City. So when you say Fashion Week, I'm thinking in my mind, that's like Carrie Bradshaw sitting in the front row in like a crazy hat. And so to me, <laughs> as a person who doesn't know anything about really fashion or beauty, I'm very far removed from how is, how is Fashion Week applicable to me? Like, how do these types of trends make their way down to me? So I'm hoping you could start there with kind of explaining um, the relationship between what happens at Fashion Week and how that trickles down all the way to someone like me. Well, you're in luck, Dana, um, because now more than ever, what we see at Fashion Week is really kind of impacting what's in stores and what the consumer sees and ultimately buys a lot sooner. So you are not alone in the fact that it can feel very foreign and very exclusive, maybe very unattainable, but that really, um, that message I think has trickled up to the top of the industry and is now coming back down in a way that's more attainable, more inclusive in so many different ways. So I actually had the chance to go to New York Fashion Week for Mintel um, and attend a couple of shows. So I was able to kind of see firsthand not only how it's changing, but how quickly it really impacts the consumer. Um, so there are a couple examples I can give of some of the designers and brands that were really changing things in a different way. Um, and that kind of sets the tone for what we see at the other fashion shows, but then also kind of for what we see um, in the retail and the beauty industry industries in general. Um, I would say that in the last few years, I think the fashion industry isn't alone in this, but it's definitely an industry that has probably um, felt the impact more than others with this like need for inclusivity and need for change and need for being more transparent, whatever that means um, for different designers. Um, and there are a lot of different approaches to kind of making sure that what happens on the runway translates to real life um, sooner and better and in a larger um, scope. So one example I wanted to give was Rebecca Minkoff. Um, we actually had the chance to um, not only attend the show, but we recently interviewed her for um, some of the work she's doing with the Female Founder Collective organization. So as a designer, she's really more thought-focused and really tries to you know think about who she's designing for from a mainstream perspective. So in this case, um, her presentation was really designed for that modern working woman. So it was presented not in that Carrie Bradshaw runway that you... That you mentioned, although that still is very much the case. Um, this was actually a presentation you could walk. It had different vignettes and they were all kind of designed for a modern woman's 
life. So it was in the office, kind of um, outside the office, on the go, all of the transitional aspects of like a true, like the nine to five. Um, she even had the theme song from nine to five playing along with other uh, nice female empowerment anthems. Um, but really it was focused on embodying the bold beauty of women. So she even had um, uh, a model that was nursing or child during the presentation. So it was kind of this idea of like, you know, these are real women. Um, there were models of all sizes there. She was launching a size inclusive capsule with Stitch Fix. So they wanted to really showcase that in a way that felt true for the, for the everyday consumer. And on top of that, most of her products were see now, buy now. So even though this fashion show takes place in fall, it was September, um, a lot of these are for spring, summer. So it's kind of what to expect in the coming months, which is why it's also important for, you know, retailers, for manufacturers and for the consumer. But some designers do choose to flip to that and do more of the see now, buy now collection because, well, if I'm going to see the show and I'm going to see it, you know, online or in social media and I want to buy it now, why can't I? So they're really shortening that, that time frame. And Rebecca Minkoff is one of the designers that does that. So you could actually go on her website I think that night I left that presentation and was looking like, I want these shoes. Can I buy them? Yes, they're for sale. Um, Tommy Hilfiger is another example of someone who does um, see now, buy now. He actually works with uh, Zendaya. I hope I'm saying her name right. And I probably sound like an old woman if I don't know how to say her name. Um, but they have partnered together for the last few seasons of shows to um, really kind of bring a fresh uh kind of concept to consumers in that see now, buy now timeframe. And um, they also incorporated more digital trends as well. So they actually had live streaming, um, which is really cool. Some shows are choosing to do that. So you can, you know, sit at home and watch the show and not feel like such a stranger. And then taking that one step further, actually go and see like, okay, I can buy this now. Um, the last example I'll give is Rihanna. I think she really kind of disrupted um, what was happening in this season as well. So she had the Savage by Fenty show. And this was one of the buzziest things that happened during New York Fashion Week. Um, they had a show that you had to be invited to, um, but attendees were banned from using their phones, which is very um, unusual during this time frame. So now with all of the, you know, the digital incorporation, you could be on your phone at all of these shows. But for that particular event, they asked that um, attendees did not use it because the show was actually being filmed to then stream exclusively on on Amazon Prime Video, I believe on the 20th. So the show was held the week of September 9th, and then it was actually available for everyone to watch on Prime on the 20th. So it's even less about what's happening from a product perspective, although that is important in Lauren and I will get into it, and more so about just how that middleman is really being cut out and how you know consumers want to see something and then want to be able to really get it um, and, and have that tangible connection right away. And they can do it not only with buying the products, but actually seeing them and feeling like they're a part of it. So it's that kind of inclusive um, messaging and it's kind of that brand consumer relationship in a in a closer way that's important. 
Yeah, and I think, and I know Alexis, I feel like you'll probably agree with me on this, that there is the whole influencer community who also attends the shows and shares what they're seeing on their Instagram feed so we can all kind of feel as though we were also there. But I think what was interesting for me to see this fashion season was that the influencers almost took some of those runway beauty looks, toned them down, and showed more of the version that the average consumer would be able to wear, would be able to recreate in their everyday life. So I know we're going to talk more about those specific looks, but thinking about those looks that had kind of a combination of crystals and colors and pearls splattered on the eyes, and then scaling that back. If you follow Danielle Bernstein, she actually did a look where she had a little pearl sitting under her bottom bottom lid. Uh, So to try to kind of showcase that look, but in a more relatable way. So again, I think it's interesting bringing it back to the average consumer. In terms of Mintel and thinking about our clients and what these trends can do for them, I think that this really kind of sets the stage for where they're going to go in terms of product development. And it's not always about going over the top and taking these direct looks and making products that will create them. It's looking at how you can realistically create those for the average consumer. I think looking at that middleman, the influencer, can be a really nice place to kind of start that conversation. Yeah, I actually was able to attend an event that Maybelline hosted. So they are a partner or a a partner and a sponsor for Fashion Week. So they are one of the beauty brands that has historically, you know, helped with creating those looks backstage. And they still do that, but they have realized that there is a better way to kind of incorporate the consumer, like to Lauren's point, like it's less about this aspirational aspect of it and more about like translating that for the everyday consumer. So they've started to invest in some events that really um, kind of take advantage of the fact that there are going to be more tourists, aka everyday consumers in the city during that that time frame, and also just like the industry insiders that are there and being able to capitalize on that influx of both types of consumers. And they have an event called the Maybelline House. I believe this is their second year that they did it. Um, and it was held on the Saturday and Sunday of the weekend of Fashion Week. So Fashion Week ran sort of from a uh, uh, Wednesday, Thursday to a, the following Tuesday. And they held their event on that weekend, which is, you know, the prime time. And it was an all day event that you it was free. Anyone could go. You had to reserve a spot. And what they did is they had different types of experiences. So you and, and unique products, unique um, types of, you know, exclusive launches. So you could go and you could um, see some of the new products from like their lip line and you could test it out by having like a latte from like the local, um, one of the local coffee shops was there brewing latte. So it was like, okay, we can prove that this lipstick doesn't, um, you know, wear off after you have a drink. And then they had customizable palettes. So you could come in and make your own um, palette based on their new shade. So it was kind of a way to incorporate what they were doing doing on the runway, what was going to be hitting stores and incorporating the consumer and also like not only having a chance to get that valuable feedback, but to Lauren's point, making the consumer the influencer. They had you know, so many hashtags they had. Um, you, the minute you walked in, you could do a video that then was shared to you. So then you could share it out again. So it's kind of like using the consumer not only to get that feedback, but to use them as the voice for the brand too. 
And I want to add that I think Dana should rock that little pearl look um, on her eye. That I was <laughs> just going to yes. say, it's like you took the words right out of my mouth when she said that. I was like, gem encrusted everything. This yes. sure. speaks to you, Dana. But it did. And it, it actually, that leads into my next question is like, I would love to hear more about the trends, like what you saw and what you think is really going to resonate with people. Obviously, pearls on my eyes is like top. Number one. Number one. Well, in a close second, um, I would say one of the biggest trends was versatile neutrals. So this kind of goes back to my earlier statement, um, how Rebecca Minkoff really is designing for the modern everyday woman. So what is something that you can really wear, um, not just once or not just for one purpose of your life, but that can really transition. So we saw a lot of these transitional styles that kind of offer that like practical chic look. So it's neutrals like camel, olive green, reddish brown, but it's also in a style that is cool, but functional. So you think like a utilitarian jumpsuit or I love a jumpsuit. So I am partial to that or, but like a trench or you see like a trench dress. It's something that kind of has more than one um, function. And sometimes that scales more casual, which we do see a lot in terms of just consumers, what they're wearing, what they want to wear. It's less occasion specific and more casual or at least versatile. So there are styles that really skew that way, this kind of mix of like streetwear as everyday wear, but then it can also be something like a suit. And that might sound counterintuitive to what I just said, but it's really like a suit that can be worn, like the jacket can be worn with jeans and sneakers or the, the trousers can be worn with like a crop top and a hoodie. It's kind of in a versatile neutral palette, but also a versatile functional style. Not so much about looking casual and the fact that like I'm wearing sweats, but more so like what can I wear that if I'm working from home or I'm working from the office, it doesn't matter if I have to run and pick up my kids or run out um, you know, for an event before or after I'm done work that I can do it in all um, in one outfit and not really have to change much. And I think that there are some um, beauty looks that kind of look like that. I know like I saw on Ula Johnson, there were a lot of braids. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if there was anything else, Lauren, that you saw that kind of is like that natural or neutral look. So yes, Alexis, I do agree. I think there are a lot of implications of a similar trend within beauty, um, specifically kind of thinking about that idea of elevated neutrals at the Brandon Maxwell show. They showcased kind of a shimmering smoky eye, which again would allow consumers that flexibility. Are you going to wear this eyeshadow into the office and then run out to a dinner with your girlfriends? You know, it's not too overbearing, like the really heavy, dark, smoky eye that we traditionally think about. That shimmer neutrality allows it to be a little bit less. I think really where we see this come through is what we saw with hair trends on the runway. There were a lot of ponytails, a lot of braids, these very sleek kind of elevated athleisure looks. Um, that can allow you to look really pulled together and professional, but also pretty easy for that on-the-go girl who doesn't have time to wake up in the morning and put all of her curls and just wants to kind of flick her dirty hair back and get on the road. <laughs> I was um, just going to say, I love a dirty hair trend. <laughs> yes. So, you know, the, I can get I on board say, with that. Ex well, the wet roots are very yeah. thin. Um, and so, you know, the more <laughs> grease that you have, the better. So if you are a greasy haired girl, this is the season. Embrace it. Yeah. Embrace it. Yes. <laughs> Put that dry shampoo down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I think the the elevated neutral thing is really interesting too because another trend that I saw is kind of like the new neutral in the way of a powerful print. So you might not think of a snakeskin and think like, oh, wow, that's a totally versatile neutral thing that's going to fly under the radar. But I think there's a lot of designers who really embrace those powerful prints and kind of turn them on their head, like turning them into a neutral. I am a firm believer that a leopard print is a neutral. I agree. Um, <laughs> Metallic I think, neutral. Yes, exactly. But it's really kind of taking those those prints that might be a little bold for some people and kind of um, reinterpreting them in a way that does feel like it can play into your everyday wardrobe, but elevate it in a way. So we saw a lot of um, snakeskins, like I mentioned, a lot of tiger stripes, a lot of leopard print, but it's not um, necessarily necessarily the way we've always seen them. So they're kind of reimagined in like a mustard yellow. There was a lot of that mustard yellow snakeskin, um, deep blues, military greens. So it's kind of this powerful print in like an earthy hue. And it really adds a compliment to that versatility and that elevated neutral that we talked about. So it's a way to kind of add in a pop, add in an elevation and make Make, really complete the outfit. So make a consumer feel like, okay, I can wear this because it pairs back to jeans, but it also pairs back to my trench or my hoodie even. And think about ways that you can kind of incorporate a trend into a more versatile kind of universal wardrobe. So again, fan favorite, Rebecca Minkoff, she did a lot of this. Tommy Hilfiger did it. And those two did that see now, buy now. So that is really popular right now for the fall trends. Um, Ula Johnson did that as well. I actually saw leopard nails on Rebecca Minkoff. So I don't know if like, nails are always like a big thing at, um, at Fashion Week, but they had like the nail art, which was really cool on like one nail. Yeah, I think actually nail art is back in full force. Um, there's been... There you go, Dana. Get on it. Yes. Another <laughs> trend for Dana to take up with her pearl eyes. Um, but the... And it's, you know, utilizing gel and kind of 3D applications to the nails. And this, I would say, has even extended into your average consumer. I think there's a lot more demand for these kind of funky out there nails. Nails tend to be a sector that you're changing quite frequently. So you don't have to make a huge investment. It's not a time commitment like it would be to cut off all your hair and dye it blonde. <laughs> um, so nails can be one of those areas where consumers like to play. And I think a lot of what we saw in Fashion Week was that these brands were here. They were giving consumers these very different kind of exciting ideas of a way 100%. to, again, kind of elevate your normal everyday look with this pop of fun on your nails that you have the option to really change in and out whenever your heart so desires. Yeah, and I think that you made a really good point. It's a way for consumers to kind of get in on a trend in a more realistic way, but also maybe a less expensive way. Like sometimes you can't really, even if it's, you know, a fast fashion retailer or like a less expensive version of something you see on the runway, sometimes it's just not feasible or you can't warrant the purchase of like the snakeskin pair of boots or something like that. Like, can you really wrap your head around it? But, or you're not sure if it's for you. So like nails are an easier less expensive, safer way to kind of test the trend um, for an everyday consumer. Um, the other aesthetic trend I wanted to talk about was bold brights. So obviously, I don't think anyone wants a wardrobe of 
all black or all camel or whatever, completely monochromatic. Um, so we did see a lot of these kind of statement making outfits in terms of head to toe color. So it could be a monochromatic, but it would be in like a bright red or a bright pink, or it could be color blocking or just a pop of color. It's kind of, again, a way to like elevate that otherwise versatile, highly functional outfit and, and kind of make it, you know, make something that seems a little scary or a little bold, more functional and every day. Um, I also think that this really helps from a brand or retailer perspective. It helps encourage those incremental purchases. So a lot of women are strategic when they're shopping. I think a lot of consumers in general kind of, you know, operate on that like price first, brand second, and then whatever mindset. And there are always a lot of strategic purses or purchases, whether it's for, you know, replacement or a specific occasion, things like that. But a lot of women still do just like to shop. And there's like that sense of like a pick me up from, from this type of purchase. So it's not that women aren't willing to make those impulsive or maybe even like a little bit of a splurge just because purchase, but they need to be encouraged to, to, do so and to have a reason to treat themselves. So sometimes buying like that yellow jacket or that like head to toe suiting or something in a little bit of a pop of color. It's like, you know, I don't have anything like that and it's fun. Why not? And that's kind of where a lot of these trends come in. Um, Ula Johnson again is another designer that we saw a lot of that of Rebecca Minkoff did really introduce this kind of like crazy, not crazy, but bolder office wear um, that you can then like take that pink jacket and wear it on the weekend or, you know, take that blue leopard skirt and wear it with your sweatshirt, um, but also showcased it in that head to toe look that is work appropriate as well. Mark Jacobs did a lot of this. I think his was really fun. I'm sure you probably have a lot to say about his beauty looks, but mm-hmm. um, Mark Jacobs and Jeremy Scott, which they both kind of tend to play on that more like playful fun side. And I think that there were pieces from both that were very much like out there, but also like separately could be broken down for like an everyday consumer. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in terms of beauty, it's, it's pretty aligned with everything that you've said. We've talked about in our last year's uh, future of color cosmetics trends that there's been this movement to kind of scale back facial makeup, but that consumers still want that area for artistry, for a bit of creativeness, and that eyes are really where mm-hmm. we're seeing that come through. So what I thought was interesting about this fashion season versus previous is that in the previous fashion seasons, we've said it's kind of this one bright color on the lid. But this fashion season, we really saw color blocking come to mm-hmm. life on the eyes and not just color blocking. And I have a shade of pink and a lighter shade of pink. It would be, I have pink combined with yellow. So kind of these very extreme, creative, artistic looks. Um, Chromat did a, a nice rendition of this where they combined kind of neon corners of the eye and almost made it into a graphic shape. Yeah, that was really cool. It brought me back to my my gem and the hologram days, not to date myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the graphic shapes was an interesting take because it was. in previous seasons, we've seen it look more smudged, but now they were much more angular. Um, and just that combination of color with kind of a, an eyeliner, may it be white eyeliner, black eyeliner, that combination of graphic and whimsical kind of combined together. And it almost feels like it's like a little bit mod, but also a little bit 90s, like the glitter gel and everything. And I feel yes. like it might seem like, you know, 
oh, yellow and pink on my eyelids like, or like the mod, like triangles in the corner, like who would do that? But I think a lot of consumers now either have done something like that when they were younger or have seen it. And I think we always you know everything's cyclical. What was old is new again. So I think it's not that crazy to think that these are things that an everyday consumer, especially someone who is more trendy, like a younger consumer, um, would, would be willing to experiment with. And I think even from like the retail side, like you see like Glossier introduced like their Glossier play line last year. So there is like a movement towards products that are just for fun or are, um, you know, a little bit more out there and trying to get it into the mainstream consumer. So I think, um, and I think coordinating that in your, your, what you're wearing in your outfit and then for your beauty look, like that feels a little bit more attainable or maybe you start with one and then once you feel comfortable and find what an outfit or a makeup look that works, you venture into the other. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about this term called raw makeup. Um, and raw makeup really was a term that was coined by a makeup artist in late 2018. But what it meant was this movement away from coverage, so away from heavy makeup, but towards creativity. And I feel like in the fashion sector that you've been talking about, Alexis, and all the trends that I've kind of touched on in the beauty element as well, that's really what we're seeing, that people want to elevate those basics. Like we said, they want to have some fun. This is fashion, beauty. It's kind of that outlet for creativity. And they're really taking that to heart and trying to find those ways that are attainable for them to infuse those into their everyday lives. So... From a messaging perspective, I did just want to call out a couple things that really were um, dominant from a presentation perspective from the messages that the designers and the brands are really putting forward. So I think, you know, back to our, our first points at earlier in the podcast about like sometimes this can feel like something that's not for everyone or not for an everyday consumer and it can feel isolating and a little exclusive. And I think that there really is a message of inclusivity and empowerment. So I mentioned Rebecca Minkoff doing things with plus size models, but we really saw this message across the board, not just at New York Fashion Week, but at in Paris um, and in Milan as well, of really style at any size, at any age. So aside from that more you know size inclusive um, presentation, we also saw... I can't talk, have a podcast about Fashion Week and not talk about JLo's moment at Versace. Of course, um, best moment of the best week. Best moment. Um, but JLo, who turned 50, which is, you know, amazing and noteworthy mention, um, she wore her infamous Versace gown to, I believe it was the 97 Grammys. And she actually closed out the Versace show in Milan wearing that same dress. So yes, that is, you know, going to be an Instagram worthy um, thing to put in your show. But I do think just as a whole, Donatella Versace has been designing for a while. She's a woman who is, um, you know, in her 50s, I believe as well. So I think she's kind of moving towards how can we show that like, again, style at any age and that you can even wear things that were cool in 97 could be cool now or just that you have this ability to flaunt it you got it and be comfortable in your own skin I think it's easier for JLo to do than maybe everyday people but I think that that is really that kind of powerful show closing message and then I also saw over this past weekend at Paris Fashion Week um, L'Oreal had a show and they had Helen Mirren who is 74 looking absolutely phenomenal um, on their runway as well so I think yes are these movie stars sure but 
but once upon a not that long ago time, you would not have women who are 50 and certainly not 74 on a runway. And I think that um, that is just showing to everyone if, you know, people in their 40s, 30s, 20s, teens are looking at this and seeing women that are, you know, as as high up as almost 75 on the runway. I think that really just showcases a larger movement in the industry in general. And then just that general sense of empowerment. We talked a lot about that female empowerment in the clothes, but Visa was also um, a sponsor of New York Fashion Week, and they really had um, a strong female empowerment message working with Rebecca Minkoff and the Female Founder Collective. Um, They were really spotlighting a lot of the designs that were um, run by female houses and kind of those brands that are female owned and really trying to um, put that message forward as the official sponsor. So it's not something that's just the fashion aspect of retail, but really the finance aspect as well. And that's that kind of holistic message of inclusivity and empowerment that's not going away anytime soon. This was so educational for me. <laughs> I, I want to leave you here with some of the takeaways that I had. Things, okay. Things that I'm, this is almost a challenge to myself. Okay. Tell okay. Us. All right. Things you guys are out here now. <laughs> it's it's going to be public knowledge. Okay. Here's so. what I wrote down from our conversation about fashion and beauty. I can embrace my greasy hair. Very true. Easy. Yeah. That's an easy, easy win, right? Easy. I'm already doing that. Easy. <laughs> and you do it well. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I just wrote glitter gel, question mark. So maybe there's glitter gel in my future. Yes. Mm-hmm. Leopard print is a neutral. Didn't know that. It, totally. This is news yep. to me. Mm-hmm. And nail art is back. See? So you can do that. it. I think. Look at that. You learned a lot. But yeah, Dana, I'm wondering why you don't have that you're going to start Pearl. putting pearls <laughs> under your eyes. Yeah. I mean, that's already on my, my to-do list. <laughs> I'm doing it today. That's why. <laughs> this is a yeah, long-term plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would love to encourage our listeners to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or on any other platform where you get your podcasts. We just launched. So spread the word. We'll catch you next week for a new episode of Little Conversation. If you want to know more about Mentel or maybe check back in to see if I am wearing leopard print as a neutral, head over to mentel.com or follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Check out our blog for more insights from our analysts. Thank you to our guests and we'll catch you next week. Bye.